I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up our series about identity crisis today. We could have gone on to several other things. Have you enjoyed this? Has it ministered to you at all? Have you left encouraged a lot of weeks? Encouraged and built up about who I am in Christ and the work of God in people's lives? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verses 21 and 22 here in just a moment. But we talked about being a new creation in Christ. We've talked about being reconciled to God, made one with Him again. We've talked about being sons and daughters of God. We've talked about being the righteousness of Christ, righteousness of God in Christ. We've talked about, um, talked about uh, being uh, the called of God. And this week, I want to speak to you, uh, lastly, about being the anointed of God. You and I are the anointed of God. Everybody say anointed. You want to know the interesting thing about that word anointed is if you start going down to the IGA or somebody out in the public and somebody that's never been in church circles before and you started saying things are anointed, they're going to say, what? It's one of those church words. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those things that when you, it's common to me being raised up in church and through Sunday school and all those things to understand anointing. I've heard it and heard it talked about many times, but but uh, this passage right here in 2 Corinthians 1, we read a couple weeks ago when we talked about being sons and daughters of God. Look at verse 21. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We talked about the Holy Spirit sealing us and the promises of heaven and the things of God that were a promise to come. How we were going to enjoy uh, the benefits of those things on this earth, but then we were going to enter into eternity someday and experience the fullness that God has for us waiting for us there. Amen? So today, what this, this promise of things today is this anointing that we're talking about and uh, anointing is not something, as I said, you're going to hear at the ballpark. Now, that pitcher right there is an anointed pitcher, y'all. That's an anointed first baseman. baseman. But at church, somebody gets up and sings, that's an anointed singer. That's an anointed preacher. That's an anointed teacher. We can understand that. But just for the sake of definition, that word in the Greek means to smear or rub with oil or an oily substance. To apply oil to as a sacred rite especially for consecration to choose or uh, to choose by or as if by divine election yet webster's uh, dictionary says this to consecrate someone or something uh, or to dedicate them to a sacred purpose when someone is anointed they are dedicated to a sacred purpose But listen to this passage. It says, He anointed us. Who is He? Yeah, it's it's God. He has anointed us. Jesus was the first anointed. He was the anointed one. But now, in turn, and by faith in Him, we too are anointed. It is God that has selected us, has called us out, has sealed us, has anointed us as His children. He is the one that's made us a new creation. He is the one that has has called us righteousness. He's the one that's reconciled us, called us His sons and daughters. He's the one that's called us out and has anointed us for a purpose. He set us apart. He has consecrated us. You are consecrated of God for a purpose. Now, right now, all of us struggle with things, and we sit here and say, well, that may not be me. Maybe it's so-and-so. Maybe that works for you, Pastor, but not me. Maybe that's so Listen, folks, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He has anointed you with His Spirit. 
He has smudged you with His Spirit. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. You have been anointed of God with the Holy Spirit. And with that anointing, there's a purpose, there's a plan. And I want to go through five characteristics of the anointing today. Now, there's a lot of things that we could talk about uh, as, as it pertains to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit versus the baptism in the Holy Spirit and, and uh, when do the gifts come and when does the fruit come and all this kind of stuff. I could talk about all that for months and months on end. We're not covering that portion of it today. We're simply talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. Some of the things I'm going to talk about today may follow the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, when the Spirit of God comes into the life of a believer through salvation, there is an anointing that takes place and wants to be released in your life. So there's five characteristics. And the first one I want to talk about is there is a presence in the anointing. There is a presence in the anointing. I'm going to parallel these with David's life. We all know about King David, right? Yes, two of us. Awesome. He killed a giant, in case you didn't know. Okay? He's a pretty cool guy. 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you follow along on the screen, beginning in verse 13, we see the account of where Samuel goes to anoint David as king. Now, Samuel goes, and he doesn't know it's going to be David. We know that he goes and he sees Eliab, which is David's older brother. And he says automatically, he's a tall, good-looking guy. You know, he was kind of casting his vote, kind of like us here in America. Well, he seems like a tall, good-looking guy. I don't know. We judge him on the outside. Amen? And that's what Samuel did. And the Lord spoke to his heart. And he says, Samuel, no, I've rejected him. And he goes to another one, another one. And the King James Version kind of alludes to as though Jesse brought those same sons in front of him again and says, it's got to be one of these. He didn't even believe it was possible that David, who was out watching the sheep, was even an option. Samuel says, oh, no, 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 there's got to be. Is there not another? Well, there's David, but nobody wants David in here. (laughs) David's busy. He's, He's dealing with the sheep, and that's where we like David. David comes in, and this is where this picks up in 1 Samuel 16, 13. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Then Samuel went to Ramah. A horn of oil. Now, now Samuel didn't just take a little bit of oil and put it on him. He dumped a horn of oil on him. He dumped a large amount of oil over David's head in front of his brothers, in front of his father, and and said, the Lord has anointed you to be the next king of Israel. This oil runs over his head, down his face, onto his clothes, probably dripping off of his clothes onto the ground, and he's just kind of looking around. He was anointed by Samuel. But here's the cool thing. The oil was one thing, but it says... And the Spirit of God, of the Lord, came upon David in power that day. Presence. David received something that he had been seeking for. The presence of God. Scripture says that, that, well, God says to Samuel earlier in Scripture that David, the one he was going to choose, was a man after his own heart. God had already selected David. God had seen David with the sheep. God had watched him and knew his heart. And now God said, I'm going to bless you with my presence. And there is no denying that when David left that place, the presence of God was on David's life. We know for a fact that the presence of God was on David's life. We know that that God, through this work of the oil, they saw something on the outside, but there was a spiritual work that took place that nobody could see or understand at that moment. 
David received from God, then he went back out and he watched the sheep. David, who had been in charge of a few things, was now going to be charge of all of Israel someday. God had a plan and a purpose for David, and the anointing was where it was begun, where it started, where it began to thrust him forward into the plan of God for his life. Do you remember when David went up to the battlefront to obey his father, to take up some cheese and grain and stuff to the, to the warriors there, and Eliab stands there and mocks David again. He said, shouldn't you be back watching those few sheep? Minimized David's faithfulness to his father. Minimized the work that David had done. But see, the power of God and the presence of God was with David from then on. There's no denying that the presence of God was in David's life. Because if you've ever read the Psalms and you've ever looked at David's Psalms, you saw a man that was completely transparent before God, that spoke what was on his heart. When he was frustrated, he let the Lord know he was frustrated. God, why is it that the evil prosper, the wicked prosper? prosper why is it lord this and why and usually by the end of the psalm he would find out what the truth was the transparency of david with god to where you would see him worshiping and then you would see him mourning and then you would see him angry then you would see him asking for revenge you would see all the facets of a man's heart or a woman's heart could be found right there because the the presence of god was with david and he spoke to him like I could speak to you or speak to my wife or my parents or somebody with an intimate relationship. David's life was transformed. That anointing brings the presence of God. Now that oil was a picture of what you and I have the privilege of today. It was John that declared in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's always been a growing progression toward the people of God having the presence of God with them day after day, minute by minute. The anointing allows the presence of God to dwell inside of us no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're at at any time, any day. When you wake up in the morning, the Lord is with you. When you lay your head down at night, the Lord is with you. When you sleep sound at night, you don't have to be afraid. The scripture says in Proverbs 3, it talks about how He protects us from wicked men when we sleep. Listen, folks, you don't have to be afraid. His presence is with you. Remember when Moses had called out the leadership and needed leadership to come in with him and to to rule the people? And the Lord said, bring them to the tent of meeting and I'll take a portion of the spirit that's on you and I will place it on them. And the Lord does that and there were two in the camp that weren't able to get to the tent of meeting and yet they received the spirit and begin to prophesy. And Joshua comes to Moses and says, hey, these two didn't even come to the tent of meeting and received. And Moses said, what? Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of God's people would prophesy. What Moses was saying was it would take a whole lot of weight off of my back if the presence of God was with everybody because then they would obey. It was the plan of God from the very beginning to fulfill that wish of Moses. That His presence would be on all of those who would receive. That each one who would follow would be anointed with His presence. That we would have a greater level of intimacy. That we would know and understand the mission of God's kingdom. And that we would live our lives out to fulfill it. In that 
intimacy, David was creative. He wrote psalms. He, he played the harp. We know he was a warrior. We know he was strong. and stri- Listen, folks, in that anointing in your life, it's the same thing. You should be creative. You should be pursuing Christ. You should be strong. You should be an overcomer, a warrior in some sense in this culture. Folks, the anointing and the presence of God changes things. Secondly, the anointing brings power into our lives. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. And then we see how? In power. Not just presence alone, but presence with power. You say, wow, you know, just scrawny little David, we didn't see that, you know. We just, they dumped oil on his head and sent him back out there with the sheep. We didn't notice anything different. While nobody was watching, we see all kinds of fruit in David's life to prove that there was a power in the anointing before there was ever an anointing by the people for leadership. Just a few things to mention, a lion, a bear, and a Goliath. He wasn't king when he killed Goliath. And when he got to Goliath, he'd already killed a lion and a bear when nobody was watching. With his bare hands. We also know that there was disdain from the godless toward David. Can I tell you this? That when the power of God is evident in your life, it invites conflict. Now I know you don't like that. But the reality is this, when David received the power of God into his life, it brought forth a Goliath, it brought forth a lion and a bear, who came in conflict with him. Also the godless, Eliab was in conflict with David. Saul, who turned away from God, was pursuing David to kill him. Another proof that the power of God was in his life. There was the support of those who were the godly people. If you ever come in contact with somebody that's a believer you've never met before and instantly you guys are just like a bond, you can just sit and talk all day long? People saw the power of God in David's life and they would cheer. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands and it stirred up anger and hatred in Saul's life. The power of God was evident in David's life. David didn't kill Saul. Is evidence This is evidence that there was spiritual power in his life. The anointing was in his life because he didn't kill Saul when Saul had pursued to kill him. Folks, listen. You say, Pastor, that that requires power to not kill somebody who's trying to kill you? That sounds like weakness. Have you ever tried not to retaliate when you've had every right to retaliate? That's tough to resist. That requires power. And God delivered Saul into his hands twice as a test to see where David's heart was. And two times he did the right thing and showed honor. And he even showed, lastly, the power of God. He showed honor to Saul, even in Saul's death, after he had been pursued for years. Folks, the power of God was evident in in David's life. But yet, look at what happened on the day of Pentecost, or prior to the day of Pentecost. Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. When you receive the anointing, you receive a power to overcome. You receive a power to do the work of the Lord. In this Harry Potter culture that we live in, they think we're... 
It's not that kind of power. It's a power to overcome sin, a power to live holy, a power to to see the fruit of the Spirit develop in your life. Beyond that, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have an avenue of power to see people healed, people raised from the dead, to see blinded eyes open, to see the work of God done in the community and in people's lives, not for our glory, but for His glory. There is a power that the anointing brings with it. Some of us live such defeated lives and live, as I've been saying through this whole series, way below our means because we forget who we are in God. There is still a promise of authority from God today. It's imparted today into us as believers. And if we're willing to receive, and if we're willing to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit, God is going to pour into our lives and we are going to overcome anything. Anything. And it doesn't matter what conflict the enemy throws. It doesn't matter what lies he says. In those times, you know, you may not actually be a king or a priest, but by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you are a king and priest. You may not have a position of authority in the community, but by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you've got authority. David didn't have the kingship yet. But by the anointing of the oil and the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, he killed a lion bear and a Goliath. So we have to remember that there is a work that's taking place in our lives. But it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget when you're faced with a giant. It's easy to forget when you're faced with a lion or a bear. It's easy to forget when the godless hate you. But I want to encourage you with this. If God's going to place something on your life that's going to draw conflict like the anointing? If He's going to put something like that in your life, He's not put it in you for you to be defeated in that conflict. He's put it in you to be victorious in that conflict. And you say, Pastor, what do you, what do you, why should I be in conflict? Listen, child of God, hear me and hear me well. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you cannot live at peace with this culture. You just can't. And if you think everything around you is hunky-dory and it's all wonderful and perfect and, and, and you're, you're never grieved in your spirit at all from Sunday to Sunday, there's a problem. The spirit will call you in conflict of this culture. doesn't call you to be rude, doesn't call you to be arrogant, doesn't call you to be violent, but there is an awakening in your spirit that can see the truth for what the truth is and you don't go along with it. So we must know and understand that the Spirit of God anoints us. He gives us the presence of God. He also gives us the power of God. And thirdly, the protection of the anointing. There's a protection in the anointing. I love this passage of Scripture. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 33. I got it. Y'all mind if I have a drink for just a minute? Right now, everybody's thirsty. I want some water. (laughs) If you want it, I can pass it around. 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, Samuel replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been fighting a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep. From the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Hmm. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you because I'm not coming. Just add that in there. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Let's just talk about this for just a few minutes. Love this picture. Saul says, you're going to lose. You don't have a hope. There's not a chance. David says, oh, but wait a second. I killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands. Let's just picture this. Now, I was, I was a kid, and, I, and I'm, I'm a guy. How many guys in here like watching them critter shows, them animal shows where they all kill each other and stuff? We like those. You know, you got lions. If you've ever seen a lion on, on the animal planet or something attack an an, another animal, whether it be a, uh, an antelope or something, do you want to get between the lion and the antelope? When they come after him, it's not like, hey, how you guys doing? I'm just going to eat. Is that okay? Is it all right if I eat? No, they, they come after. They don't. Or a bear that's hungry. You know what it gets me? You go out to the Smoky Mountains and people are like, a bear. Hey, look, hey, a bear. Let's chase it. You don't chase a bear. It's a bear. It will eat you. Don't chase a bear. Leave the bear alone. Why, why is it the, 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 the po- most possibly dangerous animal in the mountains, somebody sees it and everybody runs to it? Don't do that. Make it mad. It'll eat you. But yet here's David. When the lion or the bear came out, it violently comes and grabs a sheep. And David chases down this lion and rescues the animal from its mouth. I can see him grab its little leg, punch the lion in the face. It drops the animal and the lion's like, what? And it says, the lion turns on me. When the lion turned on me, I seized it by the hair. Can you imagine what Saul's thinking when David's telling him this story? (laughs) But here's the thing. The anointing protected David. There was a call on his life. There was a plan for his life. There was a purpose for his life. And in a sense, David wasn't testing God, but he was being faithful in what he had to do at that moment, and he was indestructible. If he would have died before he'd become king, God's a liar. The anointing protected him. And he fought. And what Saul said is here, put on, put on the king's armor. Go out, listen, and make yourself look like a king. At least die that way. Because folks, David knew armor is not going to stop Goliath. You just told me, oh great Saul, that he was a man even in his youth. He was a warrior in his youth. And this 
armor is more miraculous than any other armor that's ever tried to stop Goliath. It's not going to stop him. David had the most important thing. It was the anointing of God, and that was the only thing that was going to keep this godless giant from killing him. And David had a boldness that was there because the lion and the bear were just reacting to their created nature. But David said, this guy was not created to defy God, and yet he was defying God, and he's going to stop me? Folks, before I get back to my notes, let me just tell you something. The church is too scared today. We're all too afraid to speak the truth. We're all too afraid to stand up for truth. We, we want to conform. We want to conform and make everybody happy. We want to go to the lion and the bear and go ahead and feed the sheep and make friends with it. God's not called us to do that. God's not called us to make peace treaties with Goliaths. Catching on? We are called to go in the anointing and stand for truth and be victorious. Not to be afraid, not to be a coward, not to back off and and think, oh no, too many people are walking around with armor trying to look like a king without the anointing. Too many people are putting on suits and ties trying to look like they're anointed without knowing Jesus. Too many people walk in and out of churches acting like church people when the reality is is they've never met the Savior. Listen, it doesn't matter what you look like on Sunday. What matters is, is there an anointing in your life through salvation in the Holy Spirit? If there is, then there's a work that will be done through you. Paul told Timothy this. So many of us get afraid at times. So we, get, we get afraid and fearful. You want to know what my problem Some of you look at me and say, Pastor Bob, you're the most confident person I've ever met in my life. I'm not. And I've told you this before. The demon I deal with, the thing in my mind that's always talking to me is, is you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're a failure. You see, it's coming. Yeah, things are looking good now, but you're going to fail eventually. Isn't that encouraging to know about your pastor? So these struggles that I've had in my life, I, I struggle with it, and then I get afraid about being prideful. I, I depend upon God. I got all this stuff. So what it developed in me was this false humility, and what the false humility had done is begin to develop a fear in my life. I was fearful of stuff that I didn't need to be afraid of, because there was an anointing on me, and the Holy Spirit stopped me one day and said, "Knock it off. Knock it off." And I said, "What? What? Knock what off?" He's quit being afraid. Do you think I anointed you for you to fail? Do you think I put my spirit upon you for you to fall flat on your face? That's your flesh. That's the enemy. Shut up. Ignore it. Move on and trust me. Okay. So you know what I have? And I feel better. I don't have to be afraid. Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which again is through the anointing, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Don't be afraid, church. I'm here to give you that holy nudge today. See that? Do I need to get up here so you can see it better? (laughs) 
push you off the cliff of faith. Get you out there. Move you along. You know what I'm saying? Too many of us step back and say, well, somebody else, I'm not, I'm not. Get out there. God has anointed you for something. Quit being fearful. Quit being afraid. Amen? Amen. Fourthly, the provision of the anointing. There is a provision in the anointing. God provides through the anointing. 1 Samuel 21.6 So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. This passage of Scripture is talking about David. When Saul's pursuing him to kill him, David, with an anointing on his life to be king, was running away from Saul because he didn't want to dishonor God by killing Saul because he killed a lion, bear, and a Goliath. You really think he couldn't kill Saul? He could have. But he didn't. Tired and hungry, comes to the priest and says, do you have anything to eat? <laughs> the priest says, all we have is the showbread, bread of presence, which really, according to the Mosaic law, David couldn't eat of. That was for priests. That's for Levites that were serving before God. They were serving the Lord. They could eat the bread. It wasn't for David. But they said this. They said, have you been women? Have you withheld yourself from women? Basically tested them in their purity and integrity. And they said, yes, we have. And he said, then you may have it. And he took it and ate it. And, and the whole reason I bring this up is that the, the Pharisees confronted Jesus at one point. He's walking through with the disciples and they take the, the tops off the wheat and they rub it in their hands and get the seeds out and they were eating it. And the Pharisees said, why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus reminded them of this passage of Scripture, of what happened in David's life. And he said, do you remember that David did that which was unlawful? Challenged them that he didn't die, he wasn't guilty of sin. And Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Now what I gather from that is this. Not that God wants us to go break laws for the name of Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. But religious things, we need to set those aside and we need to allow the Spirit of God to birth refreshment and, and provision in our lives, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, all these things in us. Now, what, what I do want us to grasp is this. Anytime the presence of God was with Israel or with anyone, there was a provision for them. Their needs were met. They were always provided for. God never left His people high and dry. We know that we've seen the passage of Scripture that says that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's people left begging for bread, right? Amen. It's true. There is, a, there is a provision in the anointing. And Jesus wanted the disciples to grab a hold of this. And so He told them when they sent them out two by two. Remember this passage? In Mark 6, it says, Calling the twelve to Him, He sent them out two by two and gave them authority, power, over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Jesus is saying this. I'm going to set you up in a situation to fail, to be hungry, to be cold, to not have what you need, just so you can see that it's provided for you by me. He didn't tell them that. We know this passage. And what happens is, is they go out, they do the works of God, they come back rejoicing, and they said the evil spirits listen to us. The, healed, the sick were healed, so on and so forth. And Jesus says, rejoice not over these things. Rejoice that your names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Right? Mind the book? What they never said was, you know, we went without food, but we always had food. We went without money in our belt, but we always had money. We went without all these things, and I didn't take an extra coat, and I never was cold. They didn't say that. 
They were caught up in the, in the spiritual aspects, which is fine, but Jesus wanted them to get the whole picture. Everybody say the big picture. The big picture is more than just spiritual things. The big picture is the covering of the anointing in our lives that is going to provide. Listen, you're not going to be left with nothing. God's going to meet your need. If you are obeying Him and walking with Him and and working in Him and working and being blessed by Him as you do the ministry. Another time the disciples, after this, they were in a boat. And Jesus told them, said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And they began to argue. And they said, well, it's because we didn't bring bread. Great, we forgot bread. We didn't bring bread. And Jesus tells them this. Listen to what He says. You still don't understand. What is it that they needed to understand? Listen to what He says. Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Jesus was telling them this. Guys, you know what your problem is? In my presence, you are not less than. Remember we said, you are going to be the head and not the tail, right? Remember talking about that? You are the head and not the tail. They saw themselves as poor. They saw themselves as having nothing. They saw themselves as not making it and not having what they need. And Jesus said, don't you remember? I sent you out with nothing. You had everything you needed. You come back and there was people of 5,000 that didn't have food. I fed them. How many basketfuls were left? Twelve. One for each disciple. Whereas before that, he said, hey, why don't you go feed them? They said, we can't. That was their answer. I have nothing. I can't do this. And I don't have the money. And I can't do. I just, I won't. I, my, I, I, I. So Jesus fed everybody and then them. Fed the people first and then the disciples. Hear that. Fed the people first and then the disciples had 12 baskets left over. And Jesus, when he was standing by the woman at the well, and they come back and see him refreshed, and they said, did somebody bring you food? He says, my food, I have food that you know not of. My food is to do the will of my Father. He fed her first. Hear what I'm saying, folks. So many of us think that we have nothing. We see ourselves as less than. We see ourselves as not good enough. We see ourselves as we can't. But the anointing says, you are good enough. You have what you need. You will be given what you need when you need it. You're not going to be given more. Manna couldn't be gathered up for months at a time. It was a daily thing, amen? Amen. Except for on the Sabbath, they could gather for two days. God is going to provide. The children of Israel, when they come out into the wilderness, they had all their needs met. The presence of God was with them. We have to understand that the anointing in us is going to do a work through us and also provide for us, and God is not going to leave us high and dry. He's not. In closing this morning. Fifthly and lastly. The purpose, there is purpose in the anointing. 1 Samuel 16, 13 is where we started. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Then 2 Samuel 2, verse 4. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah when David was told that it was the men of Jabesh, so on and so forth. The main thing here is that the men of Judah came to Hebron and anointed David king. We see two anointings here. We see an anointing by God in preparation for the second anointing, which was the fulfillment of what the Lord had already spoken. 
Some of us struggle because the Lord has placed His Spirit in us. Maybe we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and we just really haven't found our niche yet. Can I encourage you that from, from, from the first anointing to the second one for David, I believe it was between 15 and 20 years before David became king. I think eight of those he was running from Saul. Something like that. Folks, that's a tough 15 to 20 years. That's tough. Do you ever think David probably at night sat down and said, what was this whole anointing thing, Lord? What is going on? You did this and here I am running like a bug hiding in the desert. Somebody trying to kill me. Something ain't right. What's going on? And I know there are people here in this room that have, have experienced the presence of God. He's ministered to your heart and He's spoken to you. And, and you may don't, maybe don't know what it is that He wants you to do yet, specifically. But it's been a while and you're saying, what am I supposed to do? I, I, God, have you, was that nothing? What is this? When I was 13 years old at teen camp, I, I uh, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit and called into ministry. And uh, I was uh, standing in that group of people. It was after the service. It was altar time. And I just kind of stand there in the back. And uh, I looked up and there was a, a, a worship team from Central Bible College playing. And this guy was playing electric guitar and, um, in that worship team. And I just stood there and I looked at it and I said, that's really cool. I'd like to do that. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I'm going to do that with you. Okay. I received that. That's cool. What was my call into ministry? Because I know that the Lord, if He would have said, I'm going to make you a pastor, I would have run for my giant life. He called me into worship ministry and things, and it took me a while, and I, I learned how to play guitar really quick. And years passed from 13, folks, listen, from 13 to 32 years old. No, 33. It had been 20 years. 20 years time. I was in full-time ministry at that point as youth pastor. And we got a call from district office. So we need a worship team uh, for kids camp. A uh, worship team that we had backed out. Can't do it. Do you guys have anybody? It was a fluke that they called us. Carla said, well, Bob just had a group at another place and they could do it. So we went up there. In our first service... I was so nervous, folks. You have no idea how nervous I was. I mean, it's camp. You don't understand unless you've been to camp. It's like, this is camp. You don't, you don't fall flat on your face at camp, man. It's, they're expecting worship. Worship. So we were, we were going to fast and pray. The worship team, the kids and I, were going to fast and pray. I was walking around uh, the worship center there. And I was just praying, and I felt that feeling of, you're going to flop, you're going to be a failure, you're just, this is awful. And the Holy Spirit said, stop. And I stopped. He said, look up. And I looked up, and folks, the building's different. It's not the old tabernacle that was there when I was 13 years old. But I was standing, facing the direction of the old tabernacle, in almost the exact spot that I was, at 13 when the Lord spoke those words to me. And I could almost visualize that guy up there playing the guitar and the worship team playing with him. And the Lord said to me, He says, Today I fulfill in you the promise I made to you 
when you were 13 years old. And suddenly I went, wow. I stood there for a little bit and I couldn't move and I just was in awe of what God was doing and I went and grabbed the kids and I said, we're done, we don't need to pray anymore. They said, why? I said, I heard from the Lord, we're good, we're ready to go. You don't even have to fast, go eat something, it's going to be a long night. Go eat something. And it was a long night. We had, we had at that camp, we had kids get filled with the Holy Spirit during the worship service and they would, they would stop like at the end of it, they're like going to find their counselors. What is this? What, what happened? I mean, eight, nine-year-old kids being baptized in the Spirit and just doing, God doing a work in their lives. And the cool thing is this. You look out and you see a kid that age and you think, why would God place such a strong anointing on a nine-year-old? What are they going to do with it? Who knows between now and 20 years from now? Who knows between now and eight years from now or 10 years or even next week of school? Who knows? But the cool thing is, is that God anoints for a purpose. And that God's going to bring forth a purpose. And the best advice I can give anybody is this. Obey today. Whatever God gives you to do today, obey today. You don't have to have a specific thing that I'm going to be called to. I don't know what I'm going to be called to. No, He's called you to obedience today. He's called you to serve today. He's called you to to carry the gospel today. In what way are you affecting the ministry of the church? What way are you affecting ministry in your life? How are you affecting ministry in your family or in your workplace? Today is the day you begin that. There is an anointing in your life for it. He's made provision for you. He's given you power. He's given you His presence. He's done all these things. He's protecting you from failure in Him. If you will obey the Lord in those areas. My question to you today is this. Who wants a fresh anointing? We're going we're to pray for that today. And in our first service, God hit some people hard. And he's going to hit some people hard. In this. Some people are like, he's going to punch me? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But he is going to refresh and revive. He is going to do what Paul said to Timothy. Fan into flame the gifts. So oftentimes we get drugged down by life and the flame that used to burn bright is just kind of a coal. And he says, fan into flame, Timothy. That anointing that was there, that gift that was there, fan it into flame. And do not be afraid because you were not given a spirit of fear, but of power. Who wants that today? If you want it, come join me. Come stand up here. We're going to lay hands on you and believe you. Believe God's going to work. I forgot my anointing oil in my office again. But we're still going to believe God to move as Alyssa leads us.